0: Please open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, 1 to 13. This is where I left off last time. Beginning in verse 1, Mark writes, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs Was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. This portion of this narrative is not about pigs, it's not even really about legion so much it's about the one who has sovereign authority over both it's about jesus and in this section though we do get to see something about legion and we'll continue that today in verses 14 to 20 but in in this section we we see really legion's first reaction to this jesus to his his very presence being there among him and his power that is exercised toward him and for him. And and when I preached this section last time, I told you that up to this point in this narrative, we were we were getting a divine glimpse of Jesus, right? Something that is revealing something about his nature. We, we see here in this section his very authority over the demons, over the spiritual world. We see Jesus' sovereignty and we see his mercy being exercised here in the exorcism of Legion. He would bind the strong man and plunder his house. And this account goes on to reveal not just his power, but his mercy toward Legion himself. That he would be there at this time, at this place, on that shore to destroy the works of the devil just to rescue one lost Gentile sheep. Saints, that's good news for us because that's what he did for us. And he's still willing to do that for others. And he's still able to do so with great power and great mercy. And in this narrative... He doesn't really so much wait for this man to seek him out. He shows up on the shore and he reveals himself to this man and that man must react. And that's what he does here. The demons in him react to Jesus's very presence. That Jesus comes to him at that time in that weakness, in that hopeless condition, and he grants him salvation, deliverance, deliverance. So this tells us something about Jesus's power just in redemption and deliverance over demons here. He, he takes a helpless, sin-hardened man who was enslaved by these demons. This heart was bound up in shackles, if you will, and he sets him free. That's Legion's testimony that we're reading about here. And saints, that's your testimony as well. And that's also our hope this morning When we come to the next portion of this text, we encounter people who seem hopeless, who seem hardened, who seem thorny, who seem to be hostile and even rejecting the gospel. And that's what we see beginning to take place in verses 14 to 17. So before we really look at the full picture of Legion's reaction, we have to first look at the reaction of others who he encountered in this transaction between him and the Lord Jesus And so let's look at this really this final reaction of of Legion in a little bit, but let's also look at what happens first in the reaction of Legion's countrymen in verses fourteen to seventeen this morning. It starts off with the herdsmen, the men who are responsible for the sheep, they didn't or the, the pigs rather, they didn't own the pigs, but they were responsible for the pigs. So it starts off with their reaction to the event that had just occurred before their very eyes. They were eyewitnesses. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. Now, that meant all the people. Some people try to read into this that that just meant the owners of the pigs. They came out to investigate this great financial loss. That makes for good preaching sometimes. And sometimes it looks like they love pigs more than they love people. So they care more about the pigs than they do legion. That's not the point of the text, though. And that's not what it says. The people. The people. All that had heard these herdsmen and their testimony to what had happened. The people came to see what had happened. And notice this. They came to Jesus. And then they saw, it says, the demon-possessed man. Jesus' presence was obviously known to them. When they show up, they know who's in authority. Because look what happens here. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And how did they respond? They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pig. So the herdsmen gave testimony. And here was the reaction of the countrymen. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's quite a surprising reaction, isn't it? It is until you think about how often you responded and reacted that way to the gospel yourself. And how others also today respond in like manner. But here in this section, we see these 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 countrymen of Legion coming out to see what had happened, because what had happened was these herdsmen came to them and told them about something that seemed absolutely impossible. Legion has been changed. Legion has been changed. No one could change Legion. He couldn't change himself. The countrymen couldn't change him. Only Jesus could transform this man. Because of that, they trembled when they saw him. In verse 15, Mark reminds us of what they saw. They they saw this man who had once been mentally tormented and spiritually enslaved by a legion of demons for many years. A man who had been alone, separated, cut off from the family, cut off from the the fellowship of the people there in this region. But now that man is absolutely transformed. You see that in verse 15. He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They had never seen anyone able to do this. And here is this man who had once been demonized, this violent man, now sitting there calm, sane, And clothed in his right mind, able to rationally think and act as a true image-bearer of God at the feet of Jesus. And for these countrymen, this transformation was really more troubling than the death of 2,000 pigs. It was more troubling because this man's new condition revealed that there was someone on that shore that day... It was more powerful than a host of demons that lived in Legion. This one who was there that day caused this miracle of healing and deliverance to happen. And they saw the very evidence of it because Legion was a new creation transformed. His life was radically changed by Jesus's sovereign power, authority and Jesus's unyielding mercy toward him. And I think that that caused the people to tremble because they realized when they show up on the scene that they're now face to face with holy God in the flesh. Only God could do this. At least in their mind, only a God could do this. But they're there and they knew that there was something about this man that was unique. This man who delivered, this man who was demonized for all these years, this man had great power and authority. But more importantly, he could see inside of Legion and expose that evil and call it out and deal with it. I think because of that, they trembled most. They knew that they were also exposed to this man's power and ability. They knew that they could be Revealed for who they really are on the inside that he could expose their sinful condition as well as he did in Legion and that troubled them. They loved their sin and so we all did right before we came to know Christ and they're not so much hateful here as they are hardened. They're not so much angry as they are indifferent toward Jesus In verse 16, as the explanation is given and the testimony is revealed to them, you would think that this testimony and Legion's transformation before them would actually show their hearts the truth, and they would come to great joy and praise for Jesus at that moment. But it doesn't do that. In light of their testimony they heard and in light of Legion's transformation, what happened was their hard hearts were exposed. They begged Jesus to depart. And now in his very presence, they do what the demons did. Verse 15 says, they tremble. They tremble. And I believe it's because they realize that Christ could obviously expose the evil within their lives as well as he did in legions. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. So when we read verses 15 and 16, I think we're somewhat disappointed. If you were there with Jesus as one of the disciples and you saw this transaction taking place, these countrymen come to see Legion, hear the testimony. I think that you would be greatly disappointed in their reaction. Because what you would think, what we would rationally think, what you think is this. You think that at the sight of Jesus, this powerful, merciful healer who's there and and legions transformation and the testimony of these herdsmen, you would think that these countrymen would see this as a, a miracle of great joy and they would run to Jesus for their own redemption, their own salvation. But that's not what we see at all. Instead, we hear a thorny reaction in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They began to beg Plead, pray, petition Jesus to leave. Seems unthinkable, doesn't it? You've known Legion your whole life. You've seen the destruction in his life that this demon has caused inside of him. And, and you see him now sitting there, absolutely transformed, a new man, a new creation. And, and all you can think is, I don't want this Jesus exposing the sin that resides in me. Be gone. Leave me alone, Jesus. It's not what we would expect. It's not what we had hoped for if we were there, right? We would think that they wouldn't just run to Jesus for salvation. But they would rejoice over Legion's deliverance, his transformation. You would think they would be thrilled to see this man's life restored. And then they would run and grab the, the needy and the sick and bring them to this great healer who was on their shore. But that's not what they did, They begged him to depart. Folks, there is no greater picture to me in scripture of of a stony heart, a thorny heart, a hardened heart and a depraved mind than this. In the very presence of the one who had the ability to set them free, grant them salvation, bring healing to their land. They say depart because we love the life we have. We love the way things are. More than we love the one who can transform legion. Sadly, I think that this is an illustration of something that Jesus had just taught the disciples. I think it illustrates what we see in the parable of the soils. Go with me there to Mark 4. Mark 4. I think their reaction is illustrating this. Here, here in this, this portion of scripture with Legion and this account, we're, we're seeing an illustration of the very parable that Jesus had previously taught his disciples. And isn't it, isn't it in one sense kind of Jesus to not only explain the parable to his disciples, but then show them an illustration of it in this account with Legion? In Mark 4, beginning in verse 14, it reads this way. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. That's not the folks necessarily there in legions account. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away but I think verses 18 and 19 sum up the people in legions account. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I think that's what we're seeing take place in Mark 5:14 through 17. I think it explains their rejection of the Savior that we see here. I have to say, this is probably one of the saddest texts of Scripture to look at. Just if you don't finish it out, if you don't continue on with where Mark leads us later on. But when you see this sad reaction of of the countrymen there in Mark 5, we know that it's illustrating this very picture of the parable that Jesus gave in Mark 4. And, And we see it because the word of God himself, Jesus... He appears to them and, and the good news of his power and his mercy are revealed to them. His power over evil is revealed to them very clearly in Legion's life. But but apart, get this apart from regeneration, no man can tolerate the presence of Jesus and they won't. You can't talk people into the gospel. You can't manipulate people into the gospel. You can't even use miracles to bring people into the gospel. God must grant them what they don't have, which is a new heart. They have a stony heart. They have a thorny heart. They have a hard heart. So what do they do? They beg Jesus to depart. That's the reaction of every man and woman on the planet apart from regeneration. They may do it in different ways, say it and with different phrases. But that's what they're doing when they reject the good news of the gospel that we bring to them. Now, this, this thorny reaction, even though we know this about man's depravity, this thorny reaction is still hard to take in. It's still hard to imagine. The Savior himself is in their presence, but they reject him. It's hard to imagine that. But we need to understand that apart from apart from God working in his sovereignty and his power and his mercy, not only is this hard to hear because it seems tragic at the moment, but it seems damnable for eternity if they follow this path. If there is no regeneration in their lives, they will be damned for all eternity. They have turned away from their only hope. They have rejected Jesus in full light of who he is and what he has done. Later in Mark 5, toward the end, Legion makes it very clear that he attributes deity to Jesus. It's very clear in Legion's mind, and I'm sure those who witnessed it, That this was the very good news of the gospel of the kingdom that had come in Christ himself, even to Gentiles. And apart, though, from God working powerfully and mercifully in their hearts, this reaction to Jesus would seem unrecoverable. You would almost want to say when you read this text, these are apostates because they reject Jesus. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Not only sent forth his son to seek and save Legion. But he also sends forth a faithful witness through Legion. To continue proclaiming the word of grace. And to pursue the remnant who were currently there dwelling in this thorny hardened soil. So we don't always see the outcome of the encounter we have with someone. To point them to Christ. God knows. But you and I are called to be a faithful witness. God is the one who will prepare the heart. He is the one who cultivates the soil. We need to keep that in mind. We're just called to be faithful in proclaiming it. So he doesn't just seek one. He seeks one who will seek many who were there among them. There's a remnant. There are people within this group who will come to faith in Jesus Even though they reject him outright to his face. He will bring them in. We'll see that. So Jesus doesn't sweat their desire for him to leave. The sovereign pursuer of the lost isn't shaken in the least by their reaction for him to depart. He doesn't need to stay there. He doesn't need to stay because he's already set forth a plan before the foundation of the world to redeem their thorny hearts. So he gets in the boat in verse 18, ready to depart. Let's look at verses 18 to 20 together. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home. To your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And notice this. No hesitation. No delay. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Understand this, he he went home, I'm sure he went immediately home to people he has not seen in many years. People who had thought he was either dead or wished he was. And he revealed to them why he was transformed, how he was transformed, who it was that transformed him. But then he says, I've done what I'm supposed to do here. Now I'm going to go to ten other cities in this region. And folks, these places aren't close together on the map. He traveled because I'm sure his testimony of being the man full of demons was already throughout the region. He was the boogeyman of the day. Don't let your kids grow up to be legion. And so he travels and he reaches out to everyone he can meet. And, you know, among those he reached out to were those who were there that day who rejected Jesus to his face. But let's go back to verse 18. On one level, reading this, it's really hard to take it in because I'm trying to put myself in Legion's position at the moment. I mean, think about this. What what do you think? Actually, what do you think Legion was thinking when he was hearing in verse 17 his own countrymen, you know, reaction to Jesus and this miracle that had taken place in his own life? (laughs) I mean, you think he's thinking, man, they really want me to stick around, too, I bet. That's not what he's thinking. He might be thinking, if Jesus isn't wanted here, I'm certainly not going to be wanted here either, because I'm going to be a reminder to them of what Jesus has done and who he is. And besides that, I'd rather go with Jesus anyway. It is much better. So just just put yourself in Legion's shoes for a minute. It's an emotional, emotional text. Think about this. You had just heard the men reject him, you had just seen your Savior's reaction to them. He gets into the boat to leave, to depart, and you and you're watching him, you're watching him get into the boat, and you're thinking, uh, there's the disciple, one, two, three, they're all getting in the boat with him. Um and the people who rejected him are glad he's going, right? And and you're standing there, just on the edge, if you will, of your seat, thinking, He's gonna call me next. He's gonna call my name. I'm gonna get in the boat. He's he's gonna say, Come on in here, Legion. Get in with us. Come along. He's listening, he's watching, he's eager to hear this. But then there's silence. He hears nothing. They all get into the boat. So he musters up courage and passion. And he humbly begins to speak to Jesus and he says to him, May I may I please go with you? He begged Jesus to go with him thinking, well, surely he won't turn me away. Surely the one who redeemed me, one who delivered me from these demons, surely he won't say no. But then Jesus turns to you and says the very words you never wanted to hear. No. You can't come with me. I mean, what an amazing moment there. His emotions had to be everywhere. He's probably thinking, but, but Lord, I can't stay here. They don't want me. They don't want to hear my story. They don't want to be around me anymore. I just want to come serve you. I want to be faithful. Can't you you reward me with just allowing me to get in the boat? But Jesus did not permit it, it says. But in verse 19, aren't you glad that Jesus tells Legion why? Listen, Jesus had a greater plan for Legion's life than he could ever have imagined Verse 19, he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. As far as I know, the first Gentile missionary called by the Lord Jesus Christ. What a divine blessing that would have been to receive. It's absolutely amazing to see that Jesus would even call this man who had once been demonized now to be his ambassador, isn't it? But I think what I find most amazing and absolutely amazing and hopeful in this text is even though Jesus was being asked by everyone else but Legion to to leave this region, they don't want him around. Well, though he does leave, he doesn't leave that place without a witness. He doesn't leave that place gospel-less. He plants an ambassador among them. Jesus leaves Legion behind to proclaim the good news about the Son of God that they had just rejected. Now, that's hard. There's no way for you to understand that unless you've had someone you love reject the gospel. And you've got to go back and tell them again and again, knowing you may be rejected yourself. And in verse 20, what I think is so great here, is there's no hesitation on Legion's part. Lord, may it be so with us. In verse 20, we see that Legion took up Jesus's command and immediately went home and into the Decapolis proclaiming how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. They weren't marveling at the moment. Why are they marveling later? Jesus is there presently. Why aren't they responding to him personally? Because Jesus had a greater plan and receiving greater glory through this man he had restored And made an ambassador that was unthinkable. This was impossible in man's eyes. So that God himself would get all the praise at the end of the day. They marveled that God would come near. That God would transform a sinner and make him an ambassador of the good news. I think what's great here is that as we read further in Mark's gospel. We find out that many not only marveled mentally um, over Legion's testimony, but it seems that many marveled effectually unto salvation because God had a remnant among them, though you couldn't tell at the moment. Keep that in mind the next time someone you love rejects the truth. Listen, you do not have the divine prerogative to know who an apostate is. If they've got breath in their lungs, you have hope in Christ. We know that there were some who marveled effectually, I think, unto salvation because the next time that Jesus shows up in this region is in Mark seven. Go with there with me in Mark seven. He he makes a, if you will, kind of a detour, a a long way around, if you will, this region. And he comes down and what we see happening here in Mark seven is Christ is now working many miracles among these people and they're eagerly seeking him. They're coming to him now. The people who rejected him are now coming to him. Well, why? Because there was a witness who was faithful to go and declare how much Jesus had done for him. Look at verse 31 of Mark 7. And it says Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him. Now, notice, this is different. They didn't do this when he was there with Legion, but they brought to him now a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they noticed the wording. It's very important. They had once begged him to leave. Now they begged him to lay hands on this man. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched the tongue, his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephatha." That is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. <laughs> the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Now, I, it's hard for me to fault texts like this, like the people doing that. I, you know, listen, you see a genuine miracle. It would be hard to restrain yourself. It really would. You want to you wanna do it. But, you know, you're in that conversation with someone in the marketplace and they're talking about that's the guy who couldn't talk. That's the guy who couldn't hear. Look at that guy. I wonder what happened to him. I got to tell you, here's what happened to him. But then verse 37 says something I think very important goes beyond being marveled at. Right. They were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In my mind, I often wonder when I read this passage, are they saying he does all things well? He healed legion, delivered him from demons. He can touch a man and heal his body from this infirmity. He does everything well. I think they're praising Jesus for who he is and his power and his mercy. Then it says in verse eight or in chapter eight. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now, these people, they came to him and they stayed with him for three days as he's ministering to them. And this is in the region of the Decapolis. And there's about four thousand of them. This is a different picture of what's happening in Mark five when they tell him to leave. Something has changed. So. Again, when we go to Mark 5 and we read this narrative, we don't just see the parable of the soils being illustrated in the negative. We also see it being illustrated in the positive. This time from Mark four twenty, See, among those thorny soils that were there on the day that Legion was healed and delivered, there were a remnant that were being prepared to the faithful witness of this ambassador that Christ left with them. Verse 20 says, but those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Church, in, in legions faithfulness to Christ's command, we see the seed that fell on the soil that Christ prepared was transformed it wasn't just transformed in the immediate but for the long term it was transformed and it bore much fruit by the time christ returns to this very region keep that in mind sometimes we read the the parables and we think to ourselves here of the soils and we think well if the guy's hardened ground if he's if he's stony rocky ground or if he's a thorny ground he's hopeless so he's just giving us a picture of the reaction of men and women to when they hear the gospel, not the end result of the gospel's power in their lives. We don't know. We're called to go to them, even if, if we have to go again and again. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind that the, the, the parable of the, of the soils or the sower is not given to us to remove hope for those who at first glance reject God's word. That's not why they're there. Don't use that as an excuse. Well, they they heard me. They won't hear me again. Therefore, they're out. I'm done. No excuse here. Because at first glance, that's what these people look like here in Mark five. Think about this. At first glance, in Mark five, we see Jesus mercifully cross the Sea of Galilee to to rescue one hopeless man. Right? And we think that's what the story's about because we don't read further. We see the big picture. So when you take a second look at this text, what you realize is, is that Jesus's mercy is not only extended to one man, it's extended to many who at that moment were thorny, thorny souls, thorny hearts. And it's extended to them through the faithfulness of the one that he called to stay there among them. You may be the one, the one who is sent again and again and again To those who so often reject the good news of the gospel at first glance. So keep on proclaiming it. Keep on proclaiming it and remember that you're simply the seed broadcaster. God is the cultivator of the soil, right? And if the seed springs up and it bears fruit, then praise be to God. Glory belongs to him, not to us. But God is not. He's not simply saying all the glory belongs to me. He wants to share it with his people. He wants to share his goodness. He wants to share his blessings with us. So just remember why you're here, why you have to keep going back again and again to the same people. By God's design and by his mercy, those of us who faithfully sow this seed will be allowed to rejoice with him on the last day. We'll be able to rejoice with him as he reaps our harvest of joy of the redemption of souls that we were able to serve and proclaim the good news of Jesus to on the last day. What a blessing that is. Don't you know Legion's question in his mind about why can't I go? He had no idea that the answer would be so in engulfing. He went faithfully and then he sees the harvest that God brought in through his faithfulness and he had no idea I just wanted to obey Jesus. And just because they rejected the gospel when he was here doesn't mean they always will. So I'm going to keep going. My hope is in not their ears, but in the God who opens deaf ears. That seems to drive Legion in his actions here when we read the text in verse 20. He seems to be driven by hope when he goes back to those very people that Jesus Came to and they rejected and he joyfully proclaims to them all that Jesus has done. He he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I said earlier, he he attributes deity to Jesus. This is where he does it. Jesus's command to him is to go tell everyone how much the Lord has done for you. And he says, "Okay, Jesus did this for me, testifying that Jesus is the Lord of glory. God Almighty in the flesh. God the Son. But notice... From one moment of, I would say, great disappointment in Legion's account to a great overwhelming response of joy. The transaction takes place between 18 and 20. He is is probably thoroughly discouraged at Jesus' answer to his question. May I go with you? And he says, no. But then immediately when he sees that Jesus has a purpose for him and a plan for him to go into this country and remain a witness, he goes eagerly, joyfully. So here's here's a question for us this morning: Is that how we do it? Are we joyfully doing what Legion did in verse 20? Are, are we telling those that we interact with on a regular basis about all that Jesus has done to save us and how He has shown us mercy upon mercy? I would say we all fall short of that. I do. And if if you're not doing that, this is the day to start. We all need to go home to those near and dear to us first and share this good news. And do it again and again and again. Because Jesus is worthy. Jesus' name is worth extolling and praising and glorifying. So keep on going, even to those who seem to be thorny ground. Go and trust that the Lord will use his word and, I believe, your joy to soften those hard and thorny soils among you and implant there the gospel of God's grace. Seems to be what happened as you read the narrative further into Mark. When Legion is given a great commission to go back to these very rejecting people, God redeems some of them. It seemed impossible. But his story should remind us of how God works in the impossible. With, with God, nothing is impossible regarding redemption. Though we tend to think it is. It's limited because they have rejected time and again. Therefore, God will be done with them. You don't know that. I don't know that. And if I have this opportunity and responsibility to proclaim to them the goodness of Jesus, I need to keep going. When I read this story, one of the things that that it does to me is it, it reminds me that when Jesus sets his sights on a soul, all the running and rejecting will ultimately be in vain because Jesus is a merciful and sovereign savior. He will not let one of his remnant children be lost. Not one will be lost. They will all be raised up on the last day. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And he'll not lose any that were given to him by the Father. And Jesus does what we call impossible all the time in this. He did what was impossible for Legion in order to bring about his salvation so that he could send Legion back to preach the gospel to those who had seemingly been impossible to reach. And saints, that same gospel has transformed our lives. And by it, we've been called to do the same thing. We're, We're transformed like Legion so that we, too, can go home to those who seem to be impossible to reach. And we all know them. We all know them. We're to go home again and again to them and faithfully proclaim the greatness and the mercy of Jesus so that they may marvel over who he is. That's why Peter tells us we're saved. This is why God chose to save us to begin with. It says this in First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You belong to God. Here's why that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Saints, when you read Legion's story, I want you to know you can do that with much hope, even if those that you go to to proclaim these excellencies to seem to reject that message at first glance, don't give up. Don't hope in your ability to save them. Don't hope in their ability to be saved by their own mind and intellect. But hope in God who brings life to the dead, causes deaf ears to hear and blind eyes to see. Legion's story should remind us of this. It should remind us of how, how desperate someone could be, how, how wicked someone could be. And yet when God shows up in his son, God the son shows up on the shore of that person's life. That person is Transformed. And consequently, all those who come in contact with him as well. His story here reminds us that that we can go back, even if it's hard, even if it seems impossible. We can go back to the thorny souls, the hardened hearts. Here's why. Because God ordained our salvation to be a testimony of Christ's power and mercy to those who are near us. He gave it that way. He provided it that way so that the sinful soils around us can be cultivated and transformed by hearing this constant, this faithful, this eager, this joyful proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And he can see the effect of it upon our lives. So don't give up on the thorny soil around you, even if it feels impossible to till up. Paul writes in Galatians, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So go home and joyfully proclaim how much the Lord has done for you. So that those nearest to you will see Jesus' power and his mercy in your life. And that those hard and thorny hearts will be softened by the effect of the gospel that doesn't give up. God's gospel will accomplish all that He sends it out to do. And if someone's in your life, they're there by God's sovereign design. So keep proclaiming all that Jesus has done for the sake of His name and for the good of their soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our hope in you, the power of your gospel. And the privilege of being your ambassadors. And Lord, when it is hard, and it is sometimes very hard, beyond measure, humanly speaking, to do the very thing that we see Legion called to do. To go back to people who reject this truth. Reject the Savior who redeemed us. But God, this is is why we are saved and left here. So just help us to embrace the truth of your calling on our lives your purpose for those around us, and why they're there in the first place. Help us to find our hearts rejoicing in hope over your power to save and transform those who seem to be thorny soils. I pray that you would be glorified as we put this into practice, even today, in Jesus' name. Amen.